The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. But first, after weeks of harrowing evidence at the Central Criminal Court, Josef Pushka was yesterday found guilty of the murder of Ashling Murphy. The 33-year-old Slovakian is now facing a mandatory life sentence which will be handed down on this day week. Our court's correspondent was there throughout the trial and uh, he also presents the All Rise podcast on this particular conviction. Frank Graney, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Now, the jury was not long in considering the evidence in the end. Was that an indication of how compelling the case against Mr. Pushka was? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I I think so. I mean, the case went on for a number of weeks. There was an awful lot of evidence heard during that time and the jurors came back within about two hours. And that is very swift. The judge even commented on how quickly um, the verdict had been returned by saying that it was indicative of how straightforward uh, the case was. And the judge even went so far as to say that he was glad that the jury hadn't wasted any more time with Pushka's nonsense, because that's what it was. At the end of the day, nonsense lies and nonsense. Pushka had tried without success to have a lot of um, what would be considered the crucial evidence against him thrown out. And when he failed to do so, I really thought there was a good chance that he'd put his hands up and that he'd admit what he had done and save the Murphy family the trauma of sitting through uh, what can only be described as a horror show um, over the past few weeks. So I was quite taken aback when he pleaded not guilty on the day of his arraignment, Um, as was his right, I should say. You know, he is entitled to contest the allegation. And the judge did say yesterday that his nonsense isn't any sort of a reflection on the defence team, which was led by uh, Michael Bowman. And Michael Bowman is one of the best and most respected criminal barristers in the country. And despite what some people may think, even people uh, like Josef Pushka are entitled to a defence. As the judge said yesterday, he was entitled to contest the allegation. But thankfully, as you say, uh, he wasn't successful in terms of pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. He was found guilty of murder yesterday. As you say, uh, Michael Bowman was uh, his uh, defence lawyer and uh, he had to do the best he could for his client. In fairness, he didn't have a lot to work with. No, he he really didn't. And the judge even commented on on that too. Um, You know, it was a very difficult case to defend because in my opinion, there really was no defence. I mean, it was incredible sitting through the trial and I did. It was there for every minute of it. And even like looking back to the prosecutor's uh, opening address, which isn't evidence as such, it's just that an opening address, a roadmap of the case that she was trying to prove over the next couple of weeks. But just even listening to that, and it was so detailed and going through every piece of evidence that they were going to present and obviously had to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. But any one of those pieces of evidence, I thought, was indicative of guilt alone. But when you put everything together, the fact that his DNA was found under Ashleen's fingernails. I mean, that alone could have convicted him. But then you had the CCTV footage of him cycling around Tullamore uh, that day, following, undoubtedly following uh, other women, uh, two in particular, Beata Borowska and Anne-Marie Kelly, who both gave evidence. Uh, Ms. Kelly described him staring at her in an intimidating way. Now, he denied that. He said that he was just looking at her, but looking at the footage and hearing her evidence. And she was described as a compelling witness and she was a compelling witness. Um, It's hard to disagree with her account of what she remembered Mm. uh, from that afternoon. But Pat, we also had, I should say the jury also had his admission, a confession he made in hospital two days after he murdered Ashling Murphy. And then he tried to take that back, claiming that, you know, the effects of 
the surgery that he'd had the night before and the medication he was on, the medical evidence didn't support that. I mean, it was an open and shut case as far as I was concerned. And I was very surprised that he contested it at all mm. in the end. Now, a lot of the legal issues in the case were dealt with before the jury, jury was actually sworn in. And that results in a much smoother process when the trial eventually got underway. Um, mm. Can you tell us about uh, what, what they were talking about in advance of the jury and also that little speed bump that caused uh, the cessation of the case for a day? Yeah, well, firstly, I suppose in relation to the legal argument that took place um, before the trial got underway. So this was, um, you know, a few weeks before a jury was even sworn in. And and th- this is new uh, when, when it comes to the trial process. And um, it's very efficient. It's very helpful. It um, eradicates or mostly eradicates the need for jurors to be excused while legal issues are thrashed out in their absence. There were four areas in dispute. The admissibility of the CCTV evidence uh, we heard there was a painstaking effort by Angarda Shiakona. They went through about 25,000 hours of CCTV. That was whittled down to a shorter compilation. It showed Mr. Pushka cycling around Tullamore, as I, as I say. It showed him later that evening, or it showed a dark figure later that evening, which has now proven to have been Yosef Pushka um, emerging from the N52 near the Grand Canal in Tullamore and walking back towards Tullamore Town, where he got a lift, we know, back to his home in Mukla. He then fled to Dublin, uh, stayed in his parents' apartment, and then he was brought to hospital the following morning, having clearly self-inflicted uh, stab wounds. Uh, he claimed, obviously, that he had been stabbed, but the prosecutor put it to him that he had stabbed himself. So the admissibility of that CCTV evidence, the admissibility of those admissions that he made at St. James's Hospital, uh, the lawfulness of his arrest and his detention, the inference evidence that emerged from his fifth and final interview where he was asked to account for a number of things, including his possession of the bike, the bike that he was linked to through his DNA that was found uh, next to Ashley Murphy's uh, body, his, the fact that his DNA had been found under her fingernails. All of those things were put to him in an interview. And he was asked to account for them and he um, decided not to make any comment in relation to them. And the jury was obviously told that they could um, take adverse inferences from his failure to answer those questions and also the fruits of uh, a search warrant that was executed at St. James's Hospital. All of those things were challenged and that went on for a couple of weeks. But at the end of the day, as, you know, as, as is sometimes the case with other trials that have covered when it comes to legal argument and you can reveal something after the fact that the jury didn't hear and it could be sensational in its own right, But that wasn't the case here because he was so unsuccessful in his legal argument that an awful lot of the things that were thrashed out in the jury's absence actually ended up forming part of their deliberations. In relation to the second part of your question, Pat. The the speed bump, yeah. The first and only um, speed bump um, that the trial experienced that happened last week at the closing stage of the trial when the prosecution was closing uh, its case. Um, you may remember that the jury was excused. There was an adjournment from the day and they weren't given a reason. Um, without going into any great detail, um, all I can say is that a sick note was handed in from uh, the prison service and it has emerged that there was um, a suicide attempt, um, apparently, um, and that prison officers intervened very quickly. Now, I don't know how serious that threat was, um, but I know, as is the case with any person who is convicted of murder, uh, Yosef Pushka, um, is on suicide watch as we speak. And I'm very mindful that, you know, despite everything, Mr. Pushka has five children. So, you know, I'd be reluctant to go into any more detail than that. Um, was there anything in particular that stood out in terms of evidence that did not end up going to the jury? No, as, as I say, I mean, he was so unsuccessful in 
those two weeks of of legal argument that an awful lot of uh, the evidence that they were contesting and trying to have thrown out did end up going to the jury, maybe in a slightly different shape and form than originally envisaged by the prosecution. But the majority of it did go uh, to the jury. It was, I suppose, a kind of a last ditch effort to get rid of some of the damning evidence in the case and he was unsuccessful. And that's why just throwing back to what I said earlier, I mean, I would have sat through all of that legal argument. And then when the judge made his rulings and when, you know, I realised that all of that jury was going to go to the jury in some shape or form, that's when I thought that perhaps Joseph Pushka, having reflected on that, would maybe plead guilty on the day, but he... He, he, he chose not. not to. Now, the judge was uh, quite stark in his comments about Mr. Pushka yesterday about evil in the room. Uh, is that mm. unusual? No, I mean, during a trial, obviously, um, there's no room for a judge's comments in relation to the evidence or the facts of the case. That's entirely up to uh, the jury. But once they had returned their verdict, um, Mr. Justice Tony Hunt certainly didn't mince his words. He started off by telling the jury as soon as they had delivered that guilty verdict that he didn't find the case easy. And that's saying something for a very experienced judge like him who has seen and sat through it all. Um, but he did describe it as a straightforward case. He said the prompt verdict reflects reflects how straightforward it was. And he said that he was glad that the jurors uh, didn't waste any more time with Pushka's nonsense. And um, he was also, or he also told the jurors that he agreed with the verdict. Um, he had no hesitation in saying so. It was a very difficult decision for for them to make in in the sense that, you know, it has such serious consequences for the person in the dock. It's not an easy decision make, to make in any case like this, but the uh, judge assured them that it was the correct verdict. He was satisfied with it. Um, he said that uh, his comment in relation to Pushka's nonsense, I should say, was no reflection on uh, his defence team. And he told the jurors that quite literally they had made sure that somebody didn't get away with murder and he thanked them for their diligence and their attention uh, throughout. And then he he, t- he turned his attention to the person who, who should have been front and centre throughout all of this, Ashley Murphy. And he said that he hoped the family would provide the court with victim impact statements at that sentence hearing next week. Because as the prosecuting barrister put it way back at the start of this trial, the jury wouldn't and didn't uh, hear a lot about Ashling uh, over the past few weeks because the case was all about Yosef Pushka and whether or not he was uh, a guilty man. Um, finally, it's a mandatory life sentence for murder. Uh, in Britain, they have uh, the option of putting down a tariff and saying this person mm. should not be released for 20 years, 25 years, whatever it might be. Do judges in Ireland have any such discretion? Uh, absolutely not. And I mean, for what it's worth, I've been banging the drum for years now, having you know sat through these types of cases for the guts of 10 years or more. Now, at this stage, um, I really do think that there are certain cases in this country that are deserving of a whole life tariff um, or some sort of a tariff put in place. It's one size fits all. I mean, we covered this extensively in the first season of our podcast, Inside the Crime, when we spoke about, you know, the dreadful murders of Sharon Whelan and her two girls down in Kilkenny a number of years ago. You know, to think that somebody could take three lives like that and still be handed just that mandatory life sentence with no tariffs put in place. I suppose the only... Um, the only way that Josef Pushka's, um, uh, you know, the fact that he contested the case will potentially a- affect him down the line is when it comes to parole. So he, like any other life uh, prisoner, will be entitled or will be eligible to apply for parole after about 12 years served. Um, that's not to say that he'll get out in 12 years. But one thing that the parole board will be entitled to look at is how he approached the case. Uh, so clearly, if he had pleaded guilty from the outset, he would have saved the family the un 
undoubtable and unquestionable trauma of having sat through that, you know, horrendous trial for the past uh, few weeks that would have obviously looked favourably uh, on him when it comes to parole, the fact that he didn't. And again, he was entitled to, but he wouldn't be entitled to any sort of a discount um, because of the fact that he decided to contest it. All right, Will. Frank, thank you very much for all your work over the duration of that uh, trial. And of course, it's uh, all contained in the podcast All Rise, which is hosted by Frank. Frank Graney, thank you very much for joining us. Now, The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.